everybody. How are you? I woke up yesterday morning either with an infection or puberty. I don't understand what's going on with my voice. <laughs> Better late than never, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, so bear with me this morning. Although I sound like a man, um, I really am not uh, tolerant towards pain and being sick. Um, Heather can be sick, and she's just quiet, goes about everything, and I get sick, and I want, I want sympathy, baby. Uh, love on me, make me soup, make me... I know when I get to feeling better, though, because I always crave a hamburger, and I'm not there yet, so um, we'll get there. Uh, how many of you enjoy compliments? I do. I love compliments. Let's, let's actually do something a little different. Um, I'm going to give you some time because y'all went like way long on the greeting times, so it's like a love fest around here. But I'm going to give you a little bit of time. I want you to get up, move around the room, and I want you to pay someone a compliment, a real compliment, not like good breathing this morning, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you're alive. <laughs> Praise God, you're alive. Now give them a compliment from the heart. So why don't y'all get up, interact a little bit. Let's love on each other and uh, give some people some compliments. You guys are creating lifelong relationships. I love it, man. I just said give some compliments. You're like loving on each other. Um, all right, enough of the sappiness. Uh, if, uh, if you notice, at the end of each aisle, uh, we have some Bibles. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, uh, someone can pass you one of those. If you do not possess a Bible of your own, take that. That is our gift to you. Um, God is really stepping us up as a church, and the challenge is... Uh, no longer am I going to be putting the scripture on the slides um, because I want us in our, in our Bibles. And like I said, if you don't have one, that is our gift to you. I know the link where I can get many more a Bible. So um, we desire for everyone to have the word of God in your hand. It's, it's funny, I was reading a book this week by Philip Yancey and he was talking about the underground church in China. And uh, even though China has made great strides, still today there are leaders in the underground church that are followed by the secret police, and they are governed with how they have access to conversations, and uh, people are governed on how they have access to Scripture. Um, we do not live in China. We have access to Scripture, so we're going to make that available to everyone we can. Um, so, like I said, that's our gift to you. Go to Matthew 12. Uh, if you need help, in the front of that Bible, there's a table of contents, and uh, it'll tell you where each book is. I use it often. Um, when we launched the church, Heather bought me a new Bible, um, and so I could begin preaching out of a new new Bible, and I have to go to the table of contents because um, I don't have the page numbers memorized. I apologize. You know, you may think less of me as a pastor, but I don't. Um, also, those journey Bibles, I love them because they have a track through them uh, that can answer specific questions to new Christians, and uh, even those of us who have some questions along our journey um, just about things. So if you look in the front, there's different uh, study tips and guides to walk you through that. So um, I wanted to start out with compliments because a lot of times we give compliments, and I don't know if you're guilty of this, I know I am, we'll give kind of an empty compliment in the hopes of receiving one in return. You know, we'll be like, hey, that's, that's great, I like that. Now what about me, you know? And people are just that way. I mean, we deal with an issue of pride, um, every one of us, none of us are immune to it. Pride is the mother of all sins. Um, it's what caused uh, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, however you want to say his name, to fall from heaven. And so we deal with pride. And 
I want us to center this morning. We've been teaching through the book of Matthew, and uh, I want you to understand something about compliments. God pays his greatest compliments to those who don't think they deserve them. Um, that is the loving nature of God. That is the grace of God. That is the beauty of our, of our Heavenly Father. Uh, I don't know what your relationship was with your father growing up. Um, if you need help in that area, we have uh, help available. We have a counselor um, that I'm very close to that can help you with that kind of baggage, So, if it is so. Um, we have a prayer room and people who desire to see you healthy. But God is a perfect Father, and He always uh, wraps His grace around us. And if you take nothing away this morning out of everything that we do or say, Please understand God's grace and his compliments come when we feel like we least deserve him. Um, He's all about the underdog and the least of these, and I love that because uh, he is so gracious. So um, we're kind of in redundancy mode going through the book of Matthew right now. This morning we're seeing Jesus approach the religious leaders again, um, which will be a theme throughout, oh, up until now. I'm sure Jesus, if he were here in the flesh and blood, would confront religious leaders, and um, we're going to see how he takes, uh, takes a shot this morning. Like I said, he is perfect. Jesus ain't no sissy. He knows exactly when to engage and when to walk away. If he were Kenny Rogers, he'd know when to hold him and when to fold him, um, <laughs> know when to walk away and know when to run. Um, but Jesus never counts his money when he's sitting at the table. <laughs> that first five minutes was free. I forgot to start my timer, so, so we're going we're gonna... <laughs> to... There's just so much going on, all this snot and mucus and stuff going on in my head. I'm sorry, it's clouding everything. That'll be edited out of the recording too, honey. Don't worry, I got the look. Um, Heather has a saying. She'll just look at me and go, line. And she knows you're, I'm about to cross the line, so I better t- <laughs> drop your weapons, take two steps back, place your hands where I can see them. Um, so that's what goes on in my house. We're going to look at the Pharisees, who are uh, the religious leaders um, in the day of Jesus. Um, All of their livelihood, all of their status, all of their power, all of their uh, influence was tied around religion. Um, They were very strong religious leaders, and uh, they uh, did not like Jesus. As we saw a couple weeks ago, um, Jesus made them unhappy, and they had openly plotted, um, and the open plot to begin to kill Jesus had unfolded. Last week, Uh, right after they said they wanted to kill him, they approached him and said, not only do we want to kill you, we think you're the devil. And so there was a time of of interchange of discussion there. And here we're going to pick up um, and and see where the the Pharisees end up giving Jesus a false compliment to get what they want. Um, In relationships, this this does happen. Um, Ladies, I know you think us men are perfect in how we approach our relationships with you and and we're, we're teaching you and bringing you along. And that's what marriage is about, is a man mentoring a woman into a perfect relationship. And uh, before the stones start coming, you guys got sin too, so huh? Um, <laughs> but in relationships, men are better at this than women, but we pay compliments because we want something in return. It might not always be another compliment, um, but we, we always have an agenda. And it's not just men, ladies. Um, you know, when I take out the trash... Heather says how good I look when I'm carrying that trash bag through the house. Man, she's just trying to butter me up to, to sweep the floor too, you know what I'm saying? And I follow, I follow because I love her. Um, so let's look at the Pharisees here. And uh, 
this idea of paying Jesus a compliment to get what they want. And this morning, I've uh, titled the teaching, Give Us What We Want. Because sadly, we uh, approach church, we approach relationships, we approach our Father in heaven um, with this mentality of, God, give me what I want. Um, we have been either, either through the baggage we carry of past relationships or what we take in from society and how they have a skewed uh, basis for relationships and the holiness is missing in relationships, we tend to approach that with a give-me-what-I-want attitude. And it, our relationships, sadly, become very transactional. And God says, the only transaction of our relationship is the desire for me to give you grace and mercy for your sin. And that's the transaction that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross for. And then it becomes a holy, pure relationship where all God wants is to love us and to see us live the life he created us to live. And we need to learn to walk in humility so that we can live this life outside of our pride, outside of our selfishness, and outside of always coming to God going, give me what I want. And, and God's not going to play that game. You've heard me get on that soapbox before. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and, and they, they give him a request. So Matthew twelve thirty eight. If you're in that journey Bible, it's on page 1275, I believe. I put those in there for you, but um, in the Holy Bible, it's 962. So, <laughs> there, 15, 15, 15, 29, 29. <laughs> you guys, the medicine has kicked in. Um, Holy Spirit, just speak through me. Don't get me out of the way this morning, God. All right, here we go. Verse 38, chapter 12. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Let's stop there and just talk for a second. Here you have the Pharisees track back. They said they wanted to kill him. Then they called him the devil. And now they come to him and call him teacher. They do not recognize Jesus as their teacher. They may recognize him as a rabbi because he has been affirmed as a rabbi and Jesus is a teacher of the law and a rabbi, but they, the term teacher is of great respect. To say to someone, teacher, means I will submit to you. I understand that, that you are a, a person or a man of authority, and I will submit to you as my teacher. Now, this sets the stage here because they're saying teacher, and Jesus is, I don't know if his radar goes off or what, something pegs, and they say, we want to see a miracle from you. And what happens is they give this false compliment. They did not accept Jesus for who he is. I mean, you think about it, The Pharisees had, had this, this amazing opportunity to see Jesus in the flesh, who is God in the flesh. Jesus is fully man, fully God. They saw him do the things he did while walking through the countryside, while teaching the word of God, while talking about the will of his father. Everything that Jesus approached was grace and mercy and the love that God has for us. And when you see him engage and get a little riled up, it's always at the religious leaders because they, they, and I'm sure he was so frustrated by this because they could see Jesus and yet they still would not humble their hearts to the who God really is. And so Jesus uh, uh, starts to work on them a little bit. I mean, think about it. We've tracked through Matthew for about what, I don't know, it feels like two years, um, but way back a couple months ago in chapter Five and six and seven, we saw the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives the greatest message in history. 
He walks off of that mountain after speaking about this relationship with God. And then he goes into uh, healing people. And the Pharisees are watching this. He's healing people. And then they see it come home, and he engages with the Pharisees, and they see all of this, and still, yet they say, Teacher, give us a sign? And he's saying, you're, you're just wanting me to give you what you want. Really what the Pharisees were trying to do, they knew their, their empire was threatened, and so they started approaching Jesus in this manner because they figured if they could get him to bow to giving them a sign, then they would be able to dictate how faith should be. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced that where someone tries to manipulate God to define their terms of faith. You know, here we are going to teach straight up Jesus. We're going to preach our guts out and we're going to understand who God is and the character of God so that our faith, our life, our hope is all shaped by God, not by me. That's a big reason why I want you to have a Bible in your hand so you read it for yourself. Don't just take my word for what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. Get in there. I mean, handle up on it. Pray it through. Get in, read it. If you need help understanding it, we're going to help you understand it. And so let's, let's understand what this is all about. Um, and I think this about Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have been able to recognize when someone gives you a fake compliment and you're just trying to be nice. You know, you're like, I'd really like to poke you in the eye or, you know, punch you in the neck meat. But, you know, I... Uh, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to take the high road here and say thank you and walk away. You know, Jesus starts, Jesus, it's on. We're going to see here he engages. And this is where, where, where he's like, okay, the will of my father says ding, ding. And I think that Jesus doesn't want compliments. I mean, we, we praise Jesus and we do compliment him. And our praise, in essence, brings compliments to who Jesus is, to who the Holy Spirit is, to who our father is. But Jesus doesn't want compliments. Jesus wants worship. You know, he wants some meat behind that. He said, don't just come to me with the words. And so when you think about it, compliments are something that we will think through and speak with our mouth. And Jesus wants worship to come out of the heart. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we speak to Jesus, when we pray, when we engage in worship, he says, let that be from your heart. Let that be true worship. And so let's see how he engages and see what the response is. Um, go down to verse 39. We'll read verse 39 through 42. He answered, Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. Okay, so Jesus gets this false compliment and here's his response. It's ding-ding time, and he says, you wicked and adulterous generation. A little bit of a fiery statement there. You know, he kind of, he just, he's stepping, he's not stepping one foot forward, he's both feet in. He's like, here we go. I know when to engage, when to back, back away, and I choose to engage at this moment. Because an empty faith is being developed by the Pharisees. A faith that they want to dictate, and Jesus is going to confront this. 
Because Jesus is truth. He lives truth. The word is truth. God is truth. And he's going to confront this so that truth is understood. And he's not just being mean here. Some of us, you know, we, we want to, yeah, Jesus, man. He's not just being mean. I think this is at the end of seeing so much of this come, come out. I mean, that they wanted to kill him. They, they were with him. They saw all of the stuff, the Sermon on the Mount, the healing. I mean, people who were dead come to life. I mean, the faith of the centurion, the, the woman cured of, of the issue of blood, leprosy, blindness, mutinous, demon possession. I mean, these Pharisees had seen all of this. And I'm, I think it was just at that moment where Jesus said, he got the, the will of the Father was at that point saying, Jesus, let him have it. And he calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. And the interesting thing that we've got to understand, and if you read this, Jesus is revealing himself to the Pharisees, and they rejected him. That happened through the Sermon on the Mount, and all that they had seen the life lived out in front of him. When they rejected that, Jesus revealed themselves to themselves. And he starts to expose their heart. Now, if you're seeking God, and you're kind of on this journey of, exploring and trying to learn who God is and, and, and all of this. Keep, keep seeking, and Jesus will reveal himself to you. My advice at that moment, humble yourself, because if we don't, he's going to reveal us to us. And there are times that, that he reveals me, and I'm like, ooh, that's nasty. You know, God, take care of that. You know, get it off, get it off, get it off. And so Jesus will reveal himself to us, and then he will reveal us to us, and that's what he's doing with the, the Pharisees here, um, this isn't a criticism of their struggles. Jesus doesn't start harping and pointing fingers and hitting bruises for what the Pharisees struggle with. A lot of times we think, if when I say Jesus reveals ourself to ourself, that he's going to criticize our struggles. God knows our struggles. If this isn't an issue of what we struggle with. This is an issue of the heart. I mean, the Pharisees were unwilling to humble their self, themselves before the king. Matthew is writing this gospel to us so that we can see that Jesus is our king and they were unwilling to humble themselves. We have to stay humble, people. We have to be willing to humble ourselves to God even when we struggle because that is when Jesus can come in and that's when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I know you're struggling with this. And he's not criticizing the struggles. What he's doing is he's trying to expose them and ask them this question. What are you doing with Jesus? I mean, in your struggles, I mean, what are you doing with Jesus? In the life that you're living, what are you doing with Jesus? It, it really all comes down to that. I mean, we can see everything that Jesus does. I can teach you who Jesus really is. You can get in and engage Scripture with your mind and, and have an understanding of who Jesus really is. But is there a connection between the mind and the heart? Have you answered that question that it, it, in humility, what do I do with Jesus? I mean, is he just someone who, who I can put in my pocket and when I need something, I can pull Jesus out and say, give me what I want? Do I look at Jesus as someone who's going to, to make me a better life and that, that I will say, you know, in the name of Jesus, I got this promotion. In the name of Jesus, I got this house. In the name of Jesus, I got this car. I mean, are we, are we, are we getting into that process where we use and abuse our relationship with Jesus, and we all have to answer that question. And as a church, we're going to make sure that we answer that question correctly, because there are people that that we live with every day. 
that have a skewed image of who Jesus is. And our, our culture and our society and even our churches have done a great job of painting a Jesus that's not real. And so when, we, when our faith gets tested and we get up against the wall and Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do, we walk away because it's not real. We have dictated our boundaries and regulations for faith instead of humbling ourselves to Jesus. So what do you do with Jesus? We've got to understand that holiness is not our gift to God. Holiness is God's gift to us. So when I say I want to live a holy life, when I say I'm going to humble myself and submit to Jesus and I want to live a holy life, that's not something that I can manufacture and I can conjure up and I can make happen and then give that to God and say, God, look, I'm holy. Holiness is God's gift to us when we act in submission and humility to Jesus. And it doesn't matter what we've done. And we like to point fingers at church and, and our jobs and our families and all of that. But the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And so when we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, I mean, righteousness is imparted. Righteousness is a big word for right standing with God. We become justified. I used to tell my youth groups when I taught youth, justified simply means it's just as if I'd never sinned. And holiness, it's an attribute of God's character that he gives us so that we can walk and live the life he's created us to live and the life that he gave himself on a cross for us to live. When he says you're a wicked and adulterous generation, he wasn't calling the Pharisees to say you're cheating on your wife. Although I would love to know what he was writing in the sand when the woman was caught in the act of adultery. They may have been cheating on their wives, and he might have been writing down names. You know, Bubbles, um, I don't know. I'm really praying inside, trust me. I'm trying to keep that filter in that line, sorry. Um, Love you, honey. Please. But he's saying you're cheating on me with other gods. Look at the, the history of Israel, the Jewish people. I mean, it's like, it's like a bad relationship where they get right with God. They walk away. They realize what they walked away from. They follow their heart with other gods, golden calves. I mean, idolatry. And he's saying you cheated on me with other gods. You gave the worship that you were created to give to something other than me. And that's cheating on me. And he's saying, I'm calling you back to a relationship with me. I think what he's saying to the Pharisees, Jesus is saying, you loved religion more than me. You loved defining the rules and regulations for faith more than you loved me. And I think Jesus' heart here is really hurt. I mean, I think his heart is truly broken. He's not just annoyed because he feels that pain of cheating. There are things, if you're in a, a relationship or marriage, there are things in your relationship that annoy you, yes. Um, I have a great ability to annoy Heather. She never annoys me. She's great. I'm building points back for all the other stuff. But if I were to cheat on Heather, that would break her heart. And I think we have to understand that there are things that I do that annoy God. I am quite sure of it. Because every day I feel the boundaries of his conviction and correction. But if I were to cheat on God, I think his heart is broken. I think in this passage, Jesus' heart is broken. Not in a sissy way. 
But as a man who truly loves his bride and who gave his life for the bride to have her cheek like that. And so the sign that he says in verse 40 is he said, here's the only sign that you're going to give. I'm not going to give you any hoops. I'm not going to do any miracles. I'm not going to go um, dancing on air for you. I'm not, the enemy himself tempted me and I wasn't going to bow to his hoops. I mean, he took me to the highest point in the temple and asked me to step off and angels are going to protect me. That would be a pretty good miracle. And I didn't bow to Satan. My authority goes over him. And so I'm not going to jump through any hoops for you. Here's the sign. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and he was puked onto the shore, the sign that you will see is my, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he said, I will give my life. I will lay it down as a sacrifice for you who are calling me the enemy, who desire to kill me and now give me a false, empty compliment to get what you want. I will die for you. I will go into the grave and into hell itself and defeat that and through the power of the Holy Spirit will walk out after three days. That's your sign. That's what you place your belief in. If you're trying to set boundaries and, and guidelines for belief, Jesus says, that's set it in that. Set it in my death, burial, and resurrection because that is the only thing that I can do to save you. I can't do a miracle and your heart's going to automatically become softened to the message of Jesus. Miracles follow the teaching. Miracles follow the work that Jesus has already done. And so what we have to understand, let me just say this. Some of you may get questioned at the water cooler about this, the three days in the earth. The Jewish calendar was 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. And, and they considered it based on their calendar that any part of the day is a full day. And so when Jesus gave up his life on Friday and he was resurrected on Sunday morning, you've got Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday morning. The Jews on their calendar, and this is a cultural thing. We have to understand the culture of who this is written to. Three days in the tomb. And I will come out. And that will be your sign. Think about God's sovereignty in that. God's control and his power. He's using the wickedness of the Pharisees who desire to kill him, who grieve the Holy Spirit by saying Jesus is the devil, by giving a false compliment. All this wickedness, this is God's sovereignty. God uses wickedness to redeem the world. I mean, think about that control. That was a part of God's plan. I mean, we tend to get sideways and deal with all the, the stuff that happens. But God can redeem that. I think God will redeem wickedness. He doesn't always erase it. Think about your past. Before you came to, to a relationship with Jesus, before you humbled yourself and submitted yourself at the foot of the cross to Jesus, think about your past. Many of you are still running from it. Many of you are still praying, God, erase that. Clear the hard drive, man. Why don't you pray, God, redeem that? so that the pain that I either brought on myself or was brought on me through someone else in my life, redeem that so that I can use that to speak of your grace, to speak of your mercy, to bring people who have been hurt in the same way I have to the foot of the cross and say, look, it's level ground. You are no worse than I am. Me too. Here we are. Let's humble it. And that's God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty led to a Savior. They wanted a miracle. God's sovereignty... Said, give, or they said, give us a compliment. God's sovereignty gave him a savior. 
God does not always give us what we want. It's time to grow up a little bit. God gives us what we need. And so when you're going through something, I don't know what it is. I, I know a lot of your stories, and we've got people in our church that are hurting. None of us are immune from pain. And we're all praying for God to give us what we want. But let's humble ourselves and say, God, give me what I need. Because very often when you don't get what you want, instead of pouting, open your eyes and say, God, what are you giving me that I need so that I can stand firm under this, so that my faith isn't shaken, it's strengthened through what's going on in this. I mean, God's not just going to pull you up out of the junk and say, here's, my, here's a miracle for you. Sometimes miracles could be the worst thing for us. He took them to Scripture. They called him teacher. He took them right into the Word, man. I think we need more Bible than miracles. The miracles follow the teaching. The miracles follow what happens when we submit our life to the character of God that we see in this book. When we submit our life to the, the message of our Savior in this book. And when we read it, when we engage it. When we connect not on a heart level, but a heart and a mental level. I mean, Christianity is not something where you check your brain at the door. Get in there. Wrestle with it. Get around other people to help you wrestle with it. And see what God does in that. He took him to Scripture. He said, look at Jonah. I mean, Jonah went to Nineveh. Well, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. <laughs> Ended up in a belly of a fish. Um, he was let off on the shore. And then went to Nineveh. Jonah didn't preach anything like fire and brimstone. You know, he didn't have props. I mean, he didn't roll in there with a band like we've got, which is amazing, by the way. Um, he, he didn't roll in with a puppet skit and, you know, and come in and hand out tracks. He came in and said, man, God has sent me here. Repent. Turn from your junk. All right? And they repented. Jonah didn't even love the people he went to preach. That's why he didn't want to go. Jonah wanted to judge him just like everybody else. Jesus said, look at Jonah. Repent. All right. Look at the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, or Queen Latifah. I don't know, however you want to call her. She recognized something is missing in life. She goes to the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, the richest man who ever lived. And she humbled herself under the teaching and the wisdom of Solomon to point her to a savior. Jesus saying they had way less to go off of than you got. You got Jesus right in front of you. There was no Old Testament scriptures. There's no New Testament. Well, turn with me to the book of John and let's see how God loves you. No. They humbled themselves and they repented. And he's telling the Pharisees, you got way more than they got. You've got Jesus. You've got God. You have the word standing in front of you. And you refuse to submit yourself. Here's the question. Am I humble enough to let Jesus or to let God love me through Jesus? Or am I going to try to use Jesus to love myself? That's really what's going on here. I mean, when you boil it down, that's why they're asking for the sign. They're trying to use Jesus to love themselves more. And when we humble ourselves and let God love us through Jesus, I think that's very transformational. That's the humility that leads into what Jesus hits next, and that's the regeneration. Let's look at verse 43. Jesus goes on to say this. <clears throat> when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. 
Then it says, I will return to the house where I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. What Jesus is talking about here is he's saying, you can clean the house, but it's still empty. I make several trips. Heather and I moved, and we've got a rental that we're, we're waiting to rent. Um, and we moved, and, and it's clean, finally. All the junk is out of it, finally. But it's sitting there empty. And I go over there a couple times a week, first of all, to make sure we're not, you know, UPS and everything that we order for the church and everything is not sitting on the front porch. But I go over and I check the pipes, make sure you know, all the cold spells, but also have this just kind of weird feeling that hey, I hope nobody has broken in there. There's nothing to steal, but there's plenty to break. Um, there's a phenomenon sweeping the country with all the foreclosures called foreclosure parties. And no, it's not, yay, we got foreclosed. <laughs> we were in a house we can't afford. Now we don't have to worry about it anymore. No, foreclosure parties are teenagers watching the empty houses. And they're breaking in. There ain't nothing to steal, but there's plenty to break. I was reading a story on ABC News this week in Florida where a group of teenagers broke into a house and had parties and, and all of the things that go along with, you know, uh, use your imagination, dot, dot, dot. But the house was so destroyed inside that they had to condemn it. It's costing the, the banking industry millions, if not billions of dollars a year because of these foreclosure parties. A... Uh, uh, they were thinking about boarding the windows, but that's an even bigger sign. Now we just can't see the damage you've done. And they put signs in the front yard. When you see those signs in the front yard, that's the kid's invitation. Hey, it's empty. What Jesus is saying is you can clean up the house, but it's empty. Religion puts a sign in the front yard, empty, clean house. And we've got to understand this, that that it's, it's my stuff in the house that makes it my home. And, and religion isn't about moving everything out and having a clean house. It's a relationship with Jesus. So it's more about Jesus moving in than us moving everything out. I mean, too many of us think, well, before I can really lock in with a relationship with God, I got some things I got to clean. You know, just invite Jesus in the house. Cleaning is a byproduct. Change behavior doesn't lead to Jesus. Jesus leads to change behavior. And there are rooms in my home that if you were to knock on my door, I'm all right with you seeing. My dining room, my den, my kitchen, my office is a mess. My bedroom's uh, all right. My closet, man, it looks like clothes just threw up in there. I don't want you to see all that. We do that with Jesus. You know what? When we humble ourselves, say, Jesus, move in. Um, it's not religion, but a relationship. You've heard me say that. When we clean the house, what Jesus is saying about this man, when the demon left and he cleaned the house, that's reformation. Too many times we seek in our uh, uh, following or quest or journey with God, we seek a reformation in our life to clean it up. And what Jesus is saying here is that's just cleaning it out. 
And, and, and if you don't fill it with anything, if there's not a regeneration, if Jesus doesn't move in, then you really can be in a worse situation than when you got reformed. Second Peter talks about that. He says, it's almost worse for those who have heard the message and at some point submitted to that message than for those who have never heard it. And it's because you've got the truth. You know the truth. And that truth has something to work on. And ignorance is no longer bliss. And, you know, and, and we're not getting off the hook by saying, well, I've never heard, I've closed my mouth, I don't hear anything about Jesus. God says all creation will testify to the goodness and the grace of God. And so let's humble ourselves. I'll, I'll say this, when Jesus moves in, he protects the house. It doesn't mean things aren't going to come at you, but Jesus protects the house. My rental house, I can do nothing about it to protect it, but all my stuff is in my house. And if, if someone tries to come in, there's, there's, there's a goodie waiting for us. <laughs> I have a gun, you know. <laughs> oh, that's my 12-gauge you know, impression. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the, the, the man who broke in the house and uh, it said, you're about to meet the slug of a 44 in Jesus, you know. I don't know, I'm just, uh, but it's a, <laughs> I'm coming down from the medicine now. I'm thinking, what did I, what have I said this morning? It is all about letting Jesus move in, and that's the regeneration. Let's talk about this relationship, and then we'll take it to the house. Um, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will, get this, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's talking about this relationship. When, when, when we have this regeneration, when we allow Jesus to completely transform us, not just clean out and be an empty house, but Jesus moves in and we are filled with God's presence. It says the Holy Spirit will seal us and fill us for the day of redemption. And so we have to understand that, that God moves in and we now are a part of something. Jesus isn't being disrespectful to his family. What Jesus is saying is how big his family is when he says, whoever does the will of my Father. This is not a religious club that you have to pay dues and always try to stay on the up and up with, with the right people to stay engaged with. This is my family. And I think some of us really have to understand that we belong to a family. And all of us, probably, Jesus did more in this statement for women's liberation because he included women, mothers, in this family. This isn't a man's society. This is, Jesus says, this is my family. And I think at our core, we need to be comforted with this truth that we belong. You belong. I mean, we tend to float to different places, but you belong. You belong here, but more importantly, you belong in a family that Christ is the head of. And so my challenge to you this morning is humble yourself and let Jesus in the house. And let me give you the biggest compliment of the day. Leave with this, that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. There's no greater compliment than that. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you that in your wisdom, you know how to engage. 
Thank you for engaging to teach us this morning. I pray that we just don't read words on a page of you engaging with a group of religious leaders, but that through the Holy Spirit this morning you have engaged our hearts, that you have uh, just challenged us this morning so that we just don't leave empty, clean houses by asking for forgiveness from whatever it is we're struggling with. But God, that you truly do a work of regeneration in our life and we understand that you move into the house and where you live, the enemy or any of his little minions cannot live either. So Father, we ask this morning as we have seen the sign of your death and your burial and your resurrection, God, we just kind of have that gut check moment. And we ask you for that regeneration. God, there's nothing magical about anything we say. But God, we ask that you work on our hearts. And I know through the Holy Spirit this morning, you might have just been working on some, someone's heart. God, give them the courage to just tell you in the quietness of where they sit and where they think right now that I don't understand all of this, God, but, but, I, but I, I trust that you want something more for my life. And so, Jesus, I don't understand this, but your death, burial, and resurrection is the sign that, that I've been given, and I believe in that. God, help them to understand that through the heart and the humility of that act and those words to you, that regeneration comes. It's all about Jesus. That we belong to a family. That we live in a society full of people that feel so isolated. Thank you for giving us a sense of belonging. And may we extend that sense of belonging to the people around us. Holy Spirit, we love you and we thank you for, for guiding us. We thank you for the regeneration power that you give. And we thank you that you desire to, to lead us, to guide us in our lives so that we don't become empty vessels, that we live lives to the full. We live the life that we've been created to live and we live it in a power not of our own. Father, we love you for being a, a perfect father. God, I just ask that that you keep us from being selfish and trying to define our guidelines of faith, but we humble ourselves to you. God, keep us humble. And we're not just paying you an empty compliment when we say we love you. And thank you for being our, our teacher, our father, our savior. Bless us this